electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. You're listening to The Exchange. Here's today's show. Welcome to The Exchange, everybody. I'm Kelly Evans. We have an ugly picture playing out in the markets today as fears grow over the future of Ukraine. The Dow dropping 2%, roughly 700 points. Bank stocks whacked by plunging yields. That's weighing heavily on the major averages. Dominic Chu is standing by with more on that. We also have Rick Santelli watching this plunge in the 10-year yield today. And Brian Sullivan covering this historic spike in oil prices, even after global politicians reached an agreement to release strategic reserve barrels into the market. Dom, let's start with you. All right. So the markets, as you can see here, very much in the red. And we can point out and I'm going to focus on the Dow specifically, because for the first time in a while, the Dow has become the center of the out or underperformance. In this case, it's underperformance. We're currently down about one and two thirds percent, 570 points. We were down roughly 756 points at the lows, down 23 points at the highs. So call it relatively flat. So as you can see, we're tilted more towards the downside today. The S&P 500, 43.20, the last trade there, down 50 points, one and a quarter percent downside. And the Nasdaq composite down about one percent or 132 points at this point, 13,619 the last trade there. We also want to look at the macro market. You made a, a mention of the oil prices there. Seven-year highs for U.S. benchmark crude. By the way, U.S. benchmark crude at $104.56 is off its session highs. It's still up 9%. It was over about $106 per barrel at one point today. But you can see that spike higher in just the last couple of hours or so for WTI crude. And by the way, the gap between world benchmark prices, Brent crude and WTI, has narrowed pretty significantly. So watch those crude prices. They will reverberate throughout many parts of the market. And then the big underperforming sector so far today has been a focal point for traders as of late given the sanctions regime in Russia and Ukraine. And that is what's happening with financial stocks. Big banks, including J.P. Morgan Chase, down 4%, Bank of America down 4%, and Citigroup only down 1%. Remember, though, it's been an underperformer over the last couple of days after it disclosed about $10 billion worth of exposure to Russian markets. Regions Financial on the regional bank side of things, Key Corp as well, outsized losers given the fall in yield and the collapse in those yield curves or those differences between long and short end rates. So financials very much a focus, not just the money center banks, but the regional banks tanking it more so on the chin today. Kel, back over to you. All right, Dom, thanks. Now, you've heard a lot about it. Let's talk about what's going on with yields are plunging globally. The 10-year back below 1.7 percent today, the German boon back in negative territory. Let's get to Rick Santelli at the CME with the latest. Rick? Yes, it's just an unbelievable overnight session again in Treasuries. Look at a two-day of two-year notes and realize that in the wee hours of this morning before our time zone, we're up at 147. We're now hovering at 131. And if you move a year-to-day chart, you can see how much yields have fallen in such a short period of time. Consider this. On the yield curve right now, twos, threes, fives, and sevens all have double-digit gains in yields. 
meaning investors are buying them because they're nervous about where to put their money, considering all the volatility, especially in the equity complex. And we're even seeing the markets requesting something different from the Fed. Here's 30s minus 2s. You can see that it is steepening. All curves are steepening. This is one month. But I wanted to showcase this one because the 30 years have been uh, really kind of the odd man out on the curve. And when I say that the market's changing its mind on the Fed, when we were flattening dramatically, that's the market's way of investors selling the short and saying, the Fed, you're way behind the curve. Now there's a bit of reassessment. We're taking some of that flatness away. Look at Boone's. Kelly referenced them. Uh, their worst price today, most negative, was minus nine basis points. Remember, we haven't settled uh, under zero since February 1st. And if you look at a one week of December Fed fund futures, you can clearly see how much it's rallied. And when it rallies, it takes tightening away. When it was at its low price close on the 14th, it was trading right around 98.32. That was implying 121 basis points of 168 basis points of tightening. At its current price, at 98.79, that's roughly 121 basis points of tightening. You could do the math. Kelly. Back to you. All right, Rick, thank you very much, Rick Santelli. The U.S. oil benchmark, meantime, surging to $106 a barrel today as major producers like BP and Shell announce their plans to end their joint ventures in Russia. Brian, excuse me, Brian Sullivan standing by with more on these price spikes. Brian, what can you tell us? I think a lot of people getting choked up over the price, too, Kelly. Certainly, I mean, what a day today. The price of oil, Dom hit it. Let's talk about why. Remember, oil prices were on the rise before Putin started this war. Remember that. So the trend was already moving higher. Now you kind of throw proverbial gasoline on that, and that's what you get, prices above $106 a barrel. There is a very real supply concern out there. Here's why. All the financial sanctions, not sanctioning gas or oil yet with Russia, but the financial sanctions has made it much harder to sell Russian oil around the world. There's a very real fear that if you were to buy Russian oil, you could be sanctioned. Banks maybe don't want to lend the money. What does that mean? It doesn't mean that the third largest producer of oil in the world is offline yet. But there is a concern that Russia could either come offline or go largely offline or make it very, very difficult to buy Russian oil legally. As such, you're seeing maybe some panic buying, people trying to stock up. China, of course, won. Numerous reports out there that Russia offering China big discounts to buy oil because guess what? China and Russia, they're like this. China doesn't care what the rest of the world is doing. They just want to get the oil. So you take Russia off or the fear of it, the price, the commodity rise. And you've got, as I tweeted out, you've got all these underlying options trade, futures contracts, sort of the technical market setup. And that's been the match that has sent this whole thing going up. Will it last? If you look at it, futures, no. We're in what's called backwardation. $5 word, right? What does that mean? Prices a few months out are lower than they are right now, meaning the market doesn't think yet that these prices will stick. So there's what we've got going on right now, by the way. Keep all eyes are on the Tangies pipeline. We talk about Nord Stream 2. There's a lot of concern. Tangies coming from Kazakhstan through the Caspian Sea. Chevron, by the way, has a big stake in this. It is a pipeline to watch. Just any pipeline in that general region, Kelly, is under worry. And by the way, as gasoline prices up, you see a lot of people saying, well, this is going to be good for the EV market. I'll let Phil LeBeau talk about that, but I will say this. According to Rystad Energy, the price of battery-gate lithium has more than tripled wow. in a couple of months. 
So this is not just a gas story. Anything you want to make or power a car with, whether it's electricity, lithium, nickel, battery, or gasoline, is going to be higher and going a lot higher down the road. A familiar theme. Brian, thanks so much. Brian Sullivan on the energy story. The market is now lowering the odds of a rate hike at every meeting this year. While Mohamed Alarian told the halftime report, he's not even sure that four or five will happen. Now, Steve Leisman is here with a closer look at how all of this is complicating the Fed's decision. Steve? Yeah, uh, Kelly, the decline in yields brought on in part by that flight to safety is prompting a rethink of the outlook for the Fed. 50 basis points right out for March and six hike now in doubt. Fed funds trading, you can see it does have a 100% probability of a hike in March, but there's only a 10% within that of that hike being 50 basis points. There are similarly high probabilities, you can see there, of quarter point hikes in the May and June meetings. But there, the certainty ends. Those probabilities for July and November, they're down. And for the first time in a while, that six hike, we usually don't put it up when it's under 50%, but it is now, you can see there, a six hike is priced out. All this comes with a sharp decline. Rick was telling you in bond yields, take a look at the 10-year yield since the Ukraine invasion began. It's fallen from 2%. It was actually higher than that, even too. Now around 1.74%. So there's a quarter baked out of it. Much of this seems like a flight to safety that complicates the Fed's job. Why? It's looking for tighter financial conditions in the form of higher interest rates. Instead, it's getting looser ones. The war further complicates the Fed's job by pushing up oil and other commodity prices. While the Fed might otherwise back off tightening in face of geopolitical uncertainty, the move in commodities forces their hands by threatening higher inflation. It gets some help with a stronger dollar, which we've also seen. So Powell's going to sit now for day one of two days of testimony tomorrow. Best expectation, he's going to signal that the first set of rate hikes that... Uh, March, May, and June ones, they're baked in despite the uncertainty. He might hold back, though, offering too much guidance beyond that. If there's going to be a bigger change, it would come in the Fed waiting on balance sheet reduction to keep um, uh, liquidity in the market, Kelly. Yeah, good point. Those are two different levers that they have to pull, and it will be a big day tomorrow. Steve, right. thank you. We appreciate right. it, and Steve. Kelly? Yep, go ahead. Kelly, I just want to show you one other thing. Uh, this morning, the ruble hitting... An all-time new low against the dollar, 115. So wow. obviously we were down below a penny per ruble. I don't know what happened, but during the day it looks like uh, I thought perhaps the central bank came in. The Russian central bank came in yesterday to perhaps support it, um, and it looks like it let it go today. It was 110 was the was the low after the invasion. Now we've taken that out. It was as high as 115. Now it's 114. And that's something to watch. It could even get worse from here if the Russian central bank cannot get access to its uh, foreign exchange reserves. Such a key point. We have the chart there so everyone can follow along. Steve, thank you. We appreciate yeah. it. Steve Leisman. Thanks. Stocks are selling off on all of these concerns, including that big drop in the 10-year yield. The Dow is down more than 700 points at the lows. We're down 598 right now. The S&P and NASDAQ down about 1%. And we're already coming off a two-month stretch of losses, totaling 8% for the S&P. One of my next guests is looking at names like NVIDIA and AMD, but not yet putting cash to work here. Joining me now is Vance Howard. He's the CEO and Portfolio Manager at Howard Capital Management. We're also joined by Peter Bookvar, the Chief Investment Officer at Bleakley Advisory Group and a CNBC contributor. Welcome to you both. Peter, let me just start big picture with you for a moment here. The knee-jerk assumption is that there's no way the Fed can be as hawkish as they were previously going to be, but we see a lot of things moving in a way that they would not welcome right now. Oil spiking, mortgage rates are falling, real yields are plunging. All of this could make the inflationary problems worse down the road. 
it's actually a step further. It's a stagflationary environment that no one had on the Fed has any experience with. You know, if only Paul Volcker was still was still alive, he can give some lessons to the current Fed on how to manage this. I think the Fed, you know, it's very easy to try to predict what they're going to do the rest of the year. Uh, I think the Fed is going to take it meeting by meeting in the sense that they'll hike in March, they'll hike in May, they'll talk about shrinking the balance sheet, but then they're going to have to make a decision about are they going to focus on the stag part, the slowdown in the economy as a result of much higher prices, or are they going to focus on the inflation part and continue to tighten with that being a priority, stable prices bringing down the rate of inflation. And their history, the current Fed, is to focus more on the stack side. And, and, and that's why they'll, but, but that risks accelerating the inflation side yeah. if they're not serious about dealing with it. Exactly. And we know, obviously, if the growth, if there's a, an absolute crisis that totally changes the picture, we're just talking about what we know for now. Vance, you've been, you have proprietary uh, gauges of market strength, let's call it. They're still not flashing a buy signal to you, are they? No, they're, they're not at all. I'd be very, very cautious. The HC on byline went negative on January the 19th. We started raising cash out of the $5 billion that I trade. I'm about $1.6, $1.7 billion in cash right now. We won't go along anything until the HC on byline goes positive again. I mean, we've got our buy list out. We're, we're optimistic, but I'm not going to fight the trend. We've never fought the trend. In 2008, we sat virtually sat it out 100% in cash. We were down one68 uh, go do something entertaining other than lose money in a bad trending market. But this market's negative. It looks doesn't look too very good to us. And you know, sitting on a lot of cash feels pretty good right now. Does By it, the way, if you're not sitting on a lot of cash right now, you don't have the you don't have the ability to take uh, participate in all these opportunities that are creating themselves. There's going to be wonderful buys when this thing turns around. Well, just real quick to that point. I mean, the difference between now and 08 is that inflation's a lot higher. So I know you're not really concerned about losing 3% of your purchasing power in a three-month period when you could lose 20% of your capital. But at some point, if you stay out of the market too long, does that become a bigger problem? Well, you know, if, like I said, if you're fighting the trend, I'd rather, you know, sit on cash where maybe inflation's eating up a little bit of my cash than watch my stocks drop 20%. I figure it's easier for me to come back in when you got stuff like Salesforce that's really selling off. You know, I mean, if it had a 30, 35, 40% run, be back to even, that's a whole lot better than, than losing money right now. So let the, let the market reset. You know, sit on, sit on your hands a little bit. Sitting in cash for two, three, four months until the trend changes back up. It's just prudent. Take the emotion out of all this. Look at all these negative news coming in. I can't control anything. I don't know where the market's going to go next week or next year. What I do know is we sit here right now, the trend's down, and you're, 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 you're creating a situation with a lot of stress and pain if you're buying into it. Peter, what would you tell people as we head into the State of the Union tonight where Biden will outline some anti-inflation plans, the uh, Powell appearance tomorrow where the big question is whether he'll kind of allude to backing off to, to be safe um, or not? Well, I, I don't expect... Uh, any moves by the administration to have any impact on inflation at all. Uh, I think Powell, people think that Powell is just going to lay out his plans for the next year, and he's just not going to do that. Now, he's in obviously the, the, the difficult spot uh, because of what's going on with Russia. But I think if I were him, he would say, OK, I'm going to hike in March. I'll hike maybe in May. I'll talk about shrinking the balance sheet. But I'm not going to commit to anything more than that. It'll be, it'll be a play it by ear monetary policy, because he doesn't need to say anything more. There's a lot of time between the March and May meeting, and there'll be a lot of time 
between the May and the June meeting. So he doesn't need to pre-commit so much right. that far into the future. And I know you're still recommending commodities, gold and silver, some of the foreign markets like Japan, Singapore, South Korea. Vance, that's obviously different from what you're looking at. You're finding more in what you would call almost value in names like a Salesforce, NVIDIA, AMD. Why aren't you leaning more into commodities, international markets, that kind of thing? Or is that just not your mandate? Well, like I said, when the byline's negative, we don't fight the trend. So we let everybody else bleed out, and we'll come and pick up the pieces once they've all bled out, and we'll get them real cheap on when the byline turns. When the byline turns, by the way, when we re-entered, like we re-entered like the second week of April 2020, because we were out during the pandemic. We were 60% in cash during the pandemic. When you catch those turns at the beginning move of a new uptrend, that's when you make a whole lot of money, and it's a whole lot of fun. Yeah, well, it sounds like you've been pretty good at it, but what would you say to people who don't have the opportunity to ask you every day when you've gotten back in? What should they be watching for? Well, you know, like I said, don't fight the trend. The trend's down. I'm on your show quite a bit, so I talk about it quite a bit. You know, I've been on so much with Brian Sullivan, I think, over the past two years and, you know, 20 and 21. Every time he'd get me on, he goes, I know what you're going to say, Vance. The HCM byline's positive. Buy on every dip. Well, that's because when the positive side of the byline, you got 73% odds you're going to win. But when it turns negative, you got 73% odds you're going to lose. And I don't trade in, in odds like that. We're, 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 in the, we're not in the guessing game. We're in the odds game over here. And, Peter, what would your final words be to investors here? I, I do think that, that cash is, in, is an asset class right now, and I still think that um, commodity prices are going to surprise to the upside, and gold and silver to me is just getting going. All right, we'll leave it there. Gentlemen, thank you both. Peter Bookvar, Vance Howard on the markets today. Still ahead, choppy trading for Kohl's after the retailer gave better-than-expected guidance despite lingering supply chain issues. The CEO joins us in a first on CNBC interview next. Plus, with oil soaring above 100 bucks a barrel, we'll look at how much more pain we could see at the gas pump as prices hit their highest level since the great financial crisis. And as we head to break, here's a quick check on the major averages. The Dow is down 673 points. We're back in a moment. This is The Exchange on CNBC. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration. Our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. Welcome back, everybody. Despite the sell-off, we're seeing some green in retail as a few names rally in sympathy with Target today. Names like Kroger, Dollar General, and Costco are actually seeing some decent gains. And Kohl's had seen a nice jump on the back of earnings. While it did miss revenue expectations, it provided a bullish outlook, raised its dividend, announced a buyback program. Comes as the retailers been under pressure from activist investors who've been pushing them to consider a sale. Joining us now, Courtney Reagan with the CEO of Kohl's, Michelle Goss, in a first on CNBC interview report. 
Thank you very much, Kelly. And thank you, Michelle, for joining us here today. Always a big day for your company when you're talking about earnings, but also when you're looking forward to the year ahead. I want to start sort of with your strategy going forward, particularly as there have been discussions, as your company has admitted, about potential buyouts, potential takeovers. The board discussion, you've turned down offers for $64, $65 a share, saying it didn't value the company enough. But how would you explain that to shareholders when shares are now trading just below $56 a share right now? Why is your strategy going forward better than a sale at those offers? So, Courtney, great to see you again. Um, first off, let me say that the results we reported today, we're really proud of. 2021 was a pivotal year for the company. I mean, one of our key objectives was to restructure this company for profitable growth. And on the profitability side, the team has made tremendous progress. We delivered record earnings, $7.33 against what was our all-time high a couple years ago, 2018, at five sixty. Um, I think importantly, our confidence and conviction in the strategy, as you just mentioned, is our capital allocation strategy, doubling our dividend, a $3 billion share buyback program, and um, a billion dollars this year. I think importantly, we are now set up for profitable growth. We have initiatives that we've never had before. So as we look ahead, um, Sephora, I mean, we've guided the year 2 to 3%. Sephora is delivering mid-single-digit growth. That alone will give us a lot of tailwind on top of our active initiative, the new brands and the like. You know, as it relates to um, the offers that you just mentioned, um, first, let me say that the board is deeply involved in this and takes its fiduciary responsibility very, very seriously. Um, we are running a rigorous process. And you, know, you start out with the plan I just mentioned, where we see a lot of upside value and return to shareholders. The board is testing and measuring other paths up against this plan. We've retained Goldman Sachs. We are highly engaged both in terms of the bids coming in as well as doing proactive outreach. So let me just say um, that the board's taking a thoughtful approach. Um, but I'll, I'll end where I started, which is we have great conviction in our strategy, the guide we put out and the capital allocation that we're going to return back to shareholders. Yeah, you mentioned that, obviously, increasing the dividend. You're doing this buyback program. Have you had discussions directly with some of your biggest shareholders about the board slate that you put up compared to the board slate that the activists put up? Do you believe that shareholders are are sticking with Cole's vision? Well, what I would say, Courtney, is I talk to our shareholders all the time, and um, we have a lot of their support. They, they like our capital return allocation strategy, um, believe in our strategies ahead. And as it relates to the board, I mean, what I can tell you is we have an incredible board. It's refreshed. We brought on six new members just in the last three years with diverse experiences. So we have a great balance of both the tenure and um, the new board members coming in. Three of those six actually came through the settlement with the activists last year. So I think this board is incredibly well-equipped to guide the strategy of this company going forward. Michelle, your inventory you mentioned on the call didn't come in as planned, largely due to what was going on with the supply chain and the disruption therein, particularly affecting the women's category, which is very important to you. But you do believe that once that normalizes, you can better capture that demand again. I guess my question is, how do you ensure that customer will come back, that they weren't disappointed in looking for something that wasn't available in the most recent quarter? Yeah, so, I mean, it's an important question, and we serve 
65 million customers. We have a great loyal customer base. And we have been navigating the supply chain headwinds like many for across the entire year. And in Q4 in particular, um, we did have more unexpected delays in receipts during the holiday season. They ultimately came in, they came in a little too late. Um, and in our private brands, that was what was most affected, including businesses like women's. Um, I will tell you, um, we've done a lot of course correcting team got after it last fall um, in terms of our spring receipts. Those are flowing in. We also are more bullish on the year. I mean, we just guided 2 to 3%. So as you'd imagine, our merchants are buying lots of inventory to fulfill that, though we'll continue to maintain those great disciplines. And in the women's business in particular, you know, it's early days um, in the year. I mean, we did share that we expect the full year to be positive, um, 2 to 3% overall, and that will likely build as our Sephora shops are built out. But the early signs in the women's business are are promising. Again, we're at the early stages, but lots of fresh receipts. And um, you know, we're looking forward to a very strong year for the company overall and all our businesses. And before we let you go here, Michelle, can you just give us a glimpse into how Kohl's is dealing with inflation going forward, what your expectations are, and what customers should expect to pay, frankly, when they come into your stores and they shop online? Yeah. So, I mean, I think everybody's being impacted by, you know, the pressures today. And I'd be remiss if I didn't say, as we're on this interview, that there there's a lot of things to be unsettled about. Our hearts and thoughts go out to all the people impacted around the world and in Ukraine. Um, so that that is that is something, you know, deeply concerning for all of us. As it relates to your question on inflation, I mean, this was something we were dealing with before. It's probably only going to get worse. Um, in terms of coals, um, inflationary pressures are contemplated in our guide. I'll first start on the margin side. Uh, the team has done a lot to mitigate those pressures. I mean, we know we'll have freight, we'll know we'll have cost pressures, but we have a solid pricing promotion strategy. We've been working on our sourcing. So that is definitely in our guide from a margin standpoint. And then as it relates to how we show up with our products, uh, we'll take a thoughtful approach. I mean, Kohl's stands for value. And I think one of the points that really differentiates Kohl's is we have a broad portfolio of brands. We have very aspirational national brands, and we've got these entry price point private brands. So if you take denim, which is a trending category right now, we offer Levi's and we offer Sonoma jeans. So we'll be really thoughtful. The national brands, they price their goods, will be competitive. And we have strong elasticity models to make sure we're relevant to the consumer. But it really always starts and ends with consumer. And I think what the team has demonstrated is in, you know, an ever-moving um, environment that we can be agile and responsive. There certainly are a lot of moving parts in today's market and in the retail business. Michelle Goss, we appreciate you joining us here today. The CEO of Kohl's, got to leave it there and send it back to Kelly. It's a busy day in the markets. Kelly? Absolutely. And thank you both very much for joining us. Still ahead, President Biden's State of the Union address looms tonight. We'll look at how he intends to battle inflation and head off Russia's invasion of Ukraine. As we head to break, check out the Dow, which is headed back towards session lows right now, down 739. We're just a hair off the worst levels we've seen of the day. Chevron, Home Depot, Walmart, Salesforce are the only names in the green right now. Again, more than a 2% drop for the S&P, uh, for the Dow, one and three quarters for the S&P, one and a half percent for the NASDAQ. We're back in a moment. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Yeah! 
or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools. Canva presents stories to keep you up at night. It was an ordinary work day until... The Singapore presentation is at... 3 a.m. The office was shocked. (laughs) That's when we sleep. Maya made it less scary with Canva. (laughs) I'll just record my presentation so Singapore can watch it anytime. Record and present anytime with Canva presentations at canva.com. Designed for work. Welcome back, everybody. We've moved in just the past couple of moments to a fresh session low, as it's called. The Dow's down 765 points. Bob Bassani here with more. Bob? And, Kelly, the only good news, if you're long the market, is in the commodity complex. There are new highs all over the place, but you knew that, of course. Chevron, we had the CEO here down at the New York Stock Exchange this morning. Uh, Apache, the old Apache, ConocoPhillips, Hess, all at new highs. Devin, all of the uh, high beta names at new highs. Same with the other commodity group materials, as we like to call them. Freeport, Mac, Moran, some of the steel stocks uh, like Nucor and CF uh, and Mosaic also at a new high. These are intraday highs we're talking about. But at the same time, we're seeing yields plummet. And of course, this is a big problem for banks. Noted this morning, right after the open, J.P. Morgan, a 52-week low. Rather shocking to see that Citigroup is essentially at a 52-week low. That's been an underperformer for a while. And Huntington, Key Corp, the major what we call super regional banks, all down 7 to 8 percent. This really complicates the situation for Jerome Powell. The key story, of course, is going to be tomorrow's testimony uh, from Mr. Powell. I've been calling it threading the needle here because right now he wants rates higher, not lower. And obviously, there's some war premium in bond prices, but he's now got a stagflation issue, potentially. He's got to talk about slower growth. Of course, growth is part of the mandate, the dual mandate versus the inflation issues. The market has come to believe that there was likely going to be fewer rate hikes than people thought a month ago. But that's sort of what the market wants to believe. we got to see Powell actually indicate that might be the case. And remember what we've seen so far in 2022. We've seen slower earnings growth and significant multiple compression throughout large parts of the market. I just want to point out big names, and I'm not just talking about, uh, you know, some small tech names. Big names are down 25 to 30 percent in just the last eight, nine weeks or so. 3M, Starbucks, Home Depot, Nike, Goldman. I could put uh, dozens up here, but this is significant damage to the market. Kelly, and we need to find some way to sort of stabilize those stocks. Remember, much of this has happened in January, largely as concerns over the Fed's rate hike path, not since Ukraine. It's been the rate hike path that has really helped drop a lot of those stocks. Kelly, back to you. Great point, Bob. Thank you very much. Let's get over to Rahel Solomon now for a CNBC News update. Rahel? Hi, Kelly, and here's what's happening at this hour. Oil traders say that Russian sanctions are creating problems for a huge pipeline carrying crude from Kazakhstan to a Russian port on the Black Sea. Traders say that buyers are avoiding the oil because of difficulties getting insurance for its transport out of Russia. The United Nations says that more than 660,000 refugees have fled Ukraine. Poland says that it's received about half of that number. Refugee camps have been set up around the country. The EU says that Ukrainians will be given the right to stay and work in member nations for up to three years. The Cannes Film Festival joining the list of major events taking a stand against the Russian invasion of Ukraine. Organizers are now banning official Russian delegations from attending this year's festival unless the conflict in Ukraine ends. 
And on the news tonight, the new phase of Russian attacks and how President Biden may step up the pressure on Russia in tonight's State of the Union address. Tune in tonight at 7 Eastern. Kelly? All right, Rahel, thank you very much, Rahel Solomon. Still ahead, pump prices hit a 14-year high already this week. That was before oil surge today. That means they're going even higher. How high? We'll dive into that next here on The Exchange. Welcome back, everybody. The price of gasoline already at the highest level since 2008. The national average is around $3.61 a gallon per AAA. And with oil rising again today, my next guest says prices are going even higher. Joining me now is Andy Lipow. He's the president of Lipow Oil Associates. Andy, if nothing else happened, what would the price of gasoline be uh, based on what we're seeing today? Well, we would be looking as a national average of over $4 a gallon, given that just in the last two days, futures prices are up 28 cents a gallon. And that doesn't include what has happened over the last week. Wow. So you think we're basically already heading to $4 a gallon. Can anything head that off? Would it obviously a, a, a sharp reversal in the oil price? But how quickly could we see $4 a gallon show up at the pump? Well, this is going to happen over the next several weeks. I think that consumers during this week are going to be shocked to see increases of 10 to 15 to 20 cents a gallon as the wholesalers are lifting higher priced gasoline as we speak. Where do you think the prices will go up the most? Well, I think they're going to go up the most really across the country. The price rise of crude oil has really been indiscriminate with WTI rising as well as Brent prices rising. So the consumer is going to feel the pain across the country. Interesting. And, and like you said, it's not as if this is just one. It's not a supply or a pipeline issue so much as just the price of crude. So have you heard anything else about measures at the national level to lower the price? We obviously saw today the coordinated release of, I think, 20 or 30 different countries of barrels from their strategic petroleum reserves. That did nothing to quell the upward move in oil prices today. They've just kept surging higher. Well, really, the tools that the government can use are quite limited. They could suspend the federal excise tax on gasoline of 18 cents a gallon, and they could ex suspend the federal excise tax on diesel fuel of another 24 cents a gallon. But beyond that, they're very limited what they can do. I think there's going to be a lot of pressure on OPEC tomorrow, especially Saudi Arabia, Kuwait, United Arab Emirates, to increase their production beyond their agreed upon quotas. Would a windfall tax, which the European Commission is reportedly considering, if we did that here, what effect do you think that would have on pump prices? Well, I don't think it's going to have very much effect on pump prices. In fact, the opposite will happen where producers will slow down on their production. These high prices are really uh, good news for the, for the drilling industry to get more oil out of the ground. But that's the crux of the problem that we need more supply, especially when the market feels there could be a supply disruption out of Russia. Sure. Do you know where demand destruction is at what level for gasoline? I think we've seen in the past $4 a gallon will do it. And especially when we look at California, where prices are already $4.70 plus, those prices are headed to $5 a gallon. We expect to see demand destruction, especially in California, start reasonably soon. Yeah, absolutely. Andy, good to have you on today. Thanks so much. Thank you. Andy Lipow with Lipow Oil Associates. Coming up, stocks are getting hit hard today ahead of President Biden's first State of the Union speech. The roles Ukraine and inflation will play in that address ahead with the Dow down three, 685. And as we head to break, take a look at the chip stocks, which are doing pretty poorly today. 
AMD down almost 7%, the biggest laggard in the SMH ETF. We're back in a moment. Welcome back, everybody. A familiar bright spot on this down day. The cyber stocks are in the green again. Dom Chu has more on those moves. Dom? All right, so it's been a volatile session, but over the course of the last three or four trading days, ever since day one of the Ukraine invasion by Russia on Thursday, there's been a lot of focus on these cybersecurity stocks. If you take a look right now, it's been volatile in trading so far today, but Palo Alto Networks, Fortinet, CrowdStrike, Cloudflare, Datadog, among some of the most well-known names, mixed in trading today, but that's, again, after a massive surge that we've seen in the value of some of these off of their lows that we saw back on Thursday. Now, the overall trend for the industry has been to the downside decidedly over the last several months here. But one of the big ETFs that tracks it, this is the ETF Managers Group Prime Cyber ETF, ticker H-A-C-K, or HACK. You can see there over the course of the last, no, just maybe year-to-date period, it's been down and then up sharply. By the way, Kelly, if you look at this particular ETF, since the lows that we saw on Thursday, it is now up 15%, and so call it four trading sessions. So cyber continues to be a huge focus for many traders and investors as they watch the developments happening on the ground between Ukraine and Russia. Kel, I'll send things back over to you. It certainly is. Dom, thanks. Coming up, President Biden set to deliver his first State of the Union address tonight. The role inflation could play in the speech and in the midterm elections. That's next. Also, you can watch the event live on CNBC. Special coverage, Shepard Smith, starts at 8 p.m. Eastern time. We're back in a moment. Welcome back. Not just Russia, top of mind for tonight's State of the Union. Inflation, also a huge concern. Elon Moy is joining us now with that story and what these rising costs could mean politically for the president. Elon? Well, Kelly, the president's party traditionally loses seats during a midterm election, but rising prices could make this November even worse for Democrats. Take a look at what's known as the misery index. That's a simple measure of unemployment plus inflation. Right now, it's at about 10. Last time it was this high heading into a midterm election was in 2010, when Republicans seized control of the House and then-President Obama dubbed it a shellacking. As we know, it took about another decade for Democrats to take back the House. Now, I asked one frontline lawmaker, Congresswoman Chrissy Poulihan of Pennsylvania, if Democrats had been too slow to react to inflation. Here's what she told me. I can say that this Democrat uh, definitely recognized the inflation right away and talked about it. And again, whether it was considered to be transitory or long-term inflation, it doesn't matter to the person who's you know, uh, experiencing an increase at the gas uh, pump or an increase at the grocery store. We need to take all of these things seriously and address them as soon as we see them. So this is the challenge for the president during his State of the Union tonight. He has to try to empathize with families on a budget while also trying to tout his economic successes. So, Kelly, striking that balance is going to be critical to the fate of his party come November. Back over to you. Elon, thank you very much. Meantime, Ukraine also expected to be a key focus of Biden's speech. My next guest says Russia's invasion changes not just Ukraine, but could shift U.S. foreign policy. Joining me now is Jerry Seib, executive Washington editor at The Wall Street Journal and resident fellow at Harvard Kennedy School uh, Institute of Politics. Jerry, great to have you here tonight. There's, you know, we know it's not going to be a malaise speech. Obviously, history has, has sort of taught that lesson. Um, how, how, what should we be listening for? Well, to state the obvious, this is not the speech Joe Biden thought he was going to be delivering even two weeks ago. And to further state the obvious, the backdrop is going to be as dramatic as I can remember for any State of the Union since, since nine, after 9-11, I would say. 
Um, and I think on Ukraine, he's going to have to start by walking a tightrope, convince Americans that he is doing enough to help the Ukrainian people. And I suspect Americans are both sympathetic with and inspired by what they're seeing the Ukrainians do right now, while also convincing them that he's not going to stumble into a direct military conflict with Russia or get involved directly on the ground in Ukraine. That's a tough balance to strike, but that's what he's going to have to do. And then, as your reporting has been suggesting here, I think, all afternoon, He's going to have to confront, I think, head on the reality that what's happening in Ukraine is going to make the inflationary pressures in this country worse, tell people that they need to be prepared for that and have something to say about both what he would do to lessen inflation and what he will do to help people cope with inflation. Any late uh, sense of, of measures that might be taken to lower the gasoline price? Well, there, there's not much to do, right? I mean, you, you have heard Democrats talk about a moratorium on the federal uh, gas tax, uh, but that gives you 18 cents a gallon or so. It doesn't feel like a whole lot in the face of $4 plus a gallon gas. Um, you can release some more petroleum from the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. What Republicans want him to do and what he probably won't do because there's pushback in his party is talk about ways to expand drilling and production of oil in, on the uh, continental United States. But, um, you know, even that is a longer term proposition. That's not a next week kind of proposition. Sure. So the truth is, I think his options are limited. So, you know, a lot's been made of the response to the Ukraine crisis. And the split in the uh, Republican Party is quite marked. But it also seems to me that the response from the Democratic side Parks back almost in a way to what we heard from Republicans early in the Bush years. You know, there's been it feels like this realignment where President Biden is out there talking about how we have to be a force for freedom in the world. And that's exactly the language that President Bush used sort of infamously in his second inaugural. And then we saw Iraq and Afghanistan and everything that happened since. So it, it does feel like the polls have shifted. And I wonder what the long term consequences of that will be. Well, I think you frame both the opportunity and the challenge for President Biden tonight. This is an opportunity to be stirring and inspirational about the need for the U.S. to defend democracy and to defend freedom around the world. And by the way, at least implicitly push back against the kind of neo-isolationist tendency in both parties that says the world doesn't need American leadership. I think Joe Biden's view, which he's articulated for decades, is the, the world does need American leadership. And we can now see that. So I think that's the, that's the opportunity. I think the challenge is, uh, again, to convince uh, Americans that there is a way to do that without creating uh, another long-term foreign entanglement. I mean, people don't want another Iraq, another Afghanistan, a 20-year um, involvement somewhere. But the reality is we now have to worry about Russia again. We have to worry about nuclear weapons in Russia again. And we have to worry about the state of the North Atlantic Treaty Organization, uh, an alliance that former President Donald Trump was prepared to just walk away from if he'd gotten a second term. So um, th this is a big moment for Joe Biden. I think the advantage that he has is he will be talking his own book. He actually is an internationalist and he actually believes in alliances and he actually believes the U.S. has a role to play, particularly at times like this. We'll see if he can articulate that in a way that um, sets people's minds a bit more at ease. Sure, but you're right. It's absolutely authentic to who he is. You know, Neil Ferguson this week suggested that the president, though, only has days to prevent the Ukraine situation from really becoming a quagmire. He invoked the Israel example and the support that we quickly gave them in the past and literally in a matter of hours and days in order to defend themselves when they were under attack. Again, that was not, I believe, at the time, a country that we were required by any treaty to do so. Do you agree about the urgency of the situation in Ukraine? And do you see the international response meeting that need? 
Well, I, I think the, the situation is pretty dire because you have every reason to think, and the evidence on the ground today suggests that the Russians will simply get more brutal. Um, if they couldn't take uh, what they wanted in Ukraine, the easy way, they're going to do it the hard way. And I think we're starting to see the beginnings of that in Kyiv and elsewhere around the country. So it's going to be very messy. Is the international community doing enough? You know, probably not. But I mean, at this point, uh, the, the options are limited. Uh, the, the U.S. is trying to get some more military assistance in. Poland is helping provide that o overland. Um, it may be that what this evolves into is, in fact, a very long, protracted uh, urban warfare kind of a situation in which the Ukrainians are fighting uh, for themselves with limited help from the outside. Not a very satisfying picture. Probably one that ought to worry Vladimir Putin, though, and that's uh, something I think President Biden also can point out tonight. Great point. Jerry, again, great to have you on today. Thank you so much for your insights. Good to see you. Jerry Seib with The Wall Street Journal. Markets are lower across the board today. The energy sector is even lower despite those surging oil prices. You can see here every sector is in the red, including energy right now. There are some other commodities seeing a boost, though. We'll dive into that next. Welcome back, everybody. Stocks are selling off, but gold is up 2% again today as investors sort of rekindle their appetite. Christina Partsinevelis is standing by with more for us. Christina? Hi, Kelly. And there's no doubt that you have uh, stocks extending their loss, like you, like you mentioned, as well as investor anxiety amping up right now. So just over the past week or so, the precious metal has rallied in response to Russia's invasion of Ukraine, with investors fleeing to the safe haven metal. We've seen this before. April futures are up pretty much about over 2% right now, heading towards a 1.5-year high close today. And the Spider Gold shares, that's the largest ETF backed by physical gold, is up over 1%, even inching closer to 2% now, with trading volume closer and closer to its 30-day volume. OneDriver, the fifth biggest sovereign gold owner, Russia's central bank, said it would start buying gold yesterday on domestic markets after a two-year hiatus. Usually when a central bank buys gold, it's seen as a bullish driver in the short term. You can see the diver divergence on your screen right now between gold returns and the S&P 500, but there are some reports that warn these purchases could mean Russia will be selling gold soon. Why? because they need the cash as the country remains isolated from crippling sanctions. That cash could help if the ruble continues to fall further. And many investors are increasingly turning to gold as costlier commodities like oil add to fears of accelerating inflation, even when you compare it to other safe havens like the yen, uh, the US dollar, as well as the Swiss franc that you can see on your screen right now, gold still shines or outshines. How does that stack up against other metals whether precious metals, industrial metals, you know, other key commodities, Christina, that we're seeing? Yeah, that's a really good question. Well, we've seen a lot of uh, the higher trajectory for palladium and certain commodities like silver, none to the extent as we do with gold. Copper's been doing right well. Previously, I would have said that that's because of the clean tech push, but it also has to do with a short supply. You have Russia that is a major commodities producer. And if we're not getting some of these commodities and some of these precious metals from Russia, that's going to affect supply chains around the globe. So it is helping a lot of precious metals uh, at the moment. Yeah, it's one of those where normally we'd read it as a strong sign for demand. This time you wonder again about supply squeezes kind of taking us back to the bad old days and the pandemic. Christina, thanks so much. We appreciate it. Christina Parts and Evelis. And again, gold a bright spot today in what's other otherwise been a pretty bleak market, that old pair coming back to the fore. That does it for the exchange, everybody.
You've been listening to The Exchange. Make sure you're subscribed to get each episode every day, same time, same place. People today can spend half their lives over 50. So it's good to be financially ready for what's important to you as you get older, like a family vacation. Or starting your dream business. Welcome to Connie's Coffee. How may I help you? AARP's trusted financial tools can help you plan for whatever your future holds. That's why the younger you are, the more you need AARP. Start planning today at aarp.org slash money tools.